Hi, this is Yasha. I'm in the middle of Prospect Park at twilight on a Saturday night. And here's another story about singing. So this week I feel like I've learned something simpler and deeper than I ever expected to learn about teaching, leading, facilitating, guiding, uh, improvised singing. And it's, it's, um, it's humbling to find such deep learning happening at a time when I felt like I had already sort of was supposed to have figured things out. Well, I guess I'm really still figuring things out. So what happened was last Sunday, I went to a theater workshop with a company called Dieci. It means children in Polish, and I've been in touch with these folks for about eight years since I saw them doing a Macbeth in the middle of the park, actually this very same park. And uh, they work with a lot of immersive, long sessions with ritual and singing uh, and some ceremonial aspects and a whole range of emotions. And I've admired them from a distance and sometimes joined them but this was the probably one of the biggest steps towards them I've taken in a long time. And so I showed up and offered not just to work with some texts that I had brought, but to work with my own teaching practice as, a, as my art and to see how they could um, shake me up, open me up, and refine the way that I'm offering um, improvised singing to groups of people. So when it came my time, they asked me to just lead a little something for a few minutes, and I did. I got people up in a circle, and I, we started exchanging claps. And um, I felt a little stiff. People seemed like they were trying to figure out how to follow me and how to do it right. Um, it worked out okay. They sort of got it. I didn't talk at all. It was I was following them and improvising as a teacher. And when a few minutes were over, I yielded it back to the director, and he said, okay, well, it feels like you're teaching down to us. It feels like you know how things are supposed to go, and we're supposed to figure it out. And that felt awkward, and a lot of the members of the group agreed. And so he suggested that he gave me a couple of challenges or constraints. The first thing he said was, okay, try to teach something similar, rhythm, whatever, voice. Um, but now we're all milling around the room, and you have to teach by transmission, just by example, from one person, from you to one person at a time, and let that example spread around the room organically. So we did that, and immediately I felt the sort of relief and the uncertainty of the loss of control. So here I was now in a position of authority, leading the group, but no one could see me. Only basically one or two people at a time could see what I was doing. And so there was no way to guarantee a sort of swift and um, total togetherness. And I had to accept the individuality and the, the uniqueness and sometimes the misunderstandings that came with each person's grasp of what I was giving them. And I had to respond to those by adapting what I was doing. And then as, as the, the thing spread throughout the room, I had to listen to how it was spreading and adapt what to do next based on how that was happening. So 
um, it was it was immediately challenging, but also just relieving to be to not have that much pressure to do it right and to just give what I had to give at every moment and then see what happened. So um, this went through a couple different times. At one moment when I was leading, um, uh, the director stopped things and he said, "Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! What just happened?" And I realized that without even noticing it, I had sort of gone from being with them and being very present to pulling away and just trying to think what should happen next. And when I did that, I think the effect on my presence in the room, my physical human presence, was a sort of sudden departure, a distancing, um, what I might call a flinch, actually, something I've noticed in myself in performance and in leading, but mostly in leading, actually, on video, a way in which I sort of contract and pull myself aside and leap, essentially. I know inside my mind what it feels like it, when I'm aware of it, which is not that often, but it's like leaping into the future with a vague sense of fear that I'm not going to be able to live up to the expectation that others, or more likely myself, I have set for how things are supposed to go. So this was very humbling and a little bit scary in public to be having this part of myself seen, but also very liberating once I saw that like this, this was the thing that was holding me back from really connecting with people and allowing myself to teach in a more permissive and a more open and a really more accepting way and to, to both give and receive at the same time. This is what's holding me back. These little flinches, these moments of fear that I'm not living up to something I promised or something that's expected of me. And um, man, how immediately thrilling the life force that comes in when you realize that it's just this habit. It's, maybe it was sort of something you needed. Maybe it's still something you need sometimes but that it's not always serving you. So if you can be aware of it, then you might have a chance of working with it and <sighs> loving it enough to let it change or something. So anyway, that was a, I was exhausted by the end of this workshop and felt deeply uh, seen and deeply challenged and potentially deeply transformed by the end of it. So then I had three experiences over the course of the week where I got to put this insight into practice. If I had to boil down the insight, it would be um, to lead by following and to be open and listening as you're acting and to even as you notice that something needs to change, to try to be willing to love exactly what's happening just because it's happening and then be willing to see what happens next rather than imposing your vision of what needs to change on it. And so that was, that was sort of buzzing in me intellectually but also in this visceral sense of feeling the potential. The next day I showed up at Carnegie Hall for the Moving Star Vocal Improvisation Lab and it was a grab bag day which means everyone was free to lead whatever they 
wanted. And so I made the following proposal to the group. Let's take 15 minutes, not talking, and we'll each have a very, you know, a few minutes to lead the group and pass the leadership on to the next person. But the only condition is that if you want to lead as you're leading, uh, the only way that you can lead is non-verbally and by example. So very similar to the constraint that uh, Matt from the Dieci Theater had put on me. And that's all I said. And, and I suggested that we try to find the following inside leading, to be listening to what's happening in the space and just allowing it to become something new. So I did that. I just made that suggestion and we did it. And the results were f stunning. In a day that was, I'd say, relatively cerebral, relatively stop and start relatively high for me on the, on the scale of tension about whether we were doing it right or who was in charge. This was a moment where the group just swept into itself like an organism and there were all this, there was all this variety. Some of the moments were very um, physically initiated with body movements that were leading to sounds. Some of them were very harmonic and just very still and static, um, but very musically deep and, and connected. Some of them were sort of uh, celebratory and percussive, but in, this, in, a, in a big way. And some of them were just abstract and chaotic with people milling around the room and things spreading um, sort of by contagion. There was so much variety and there was so much kind of continuity and listening in the room. I think, I think something interesting happened because when I said that the, the leader would be following, that sort of meant that all of the followers had a responsibility to lead in a way. Which reminds me of what uh, my friend Dave told me once when I was hosting a party, which is, as a host, try to think like a guest. And as a guest, try to think like a host. And I find there's some huge wisdom in that. And when students know that they're really being listened to and seen, and that they're sort of collectively driving the boat, they will step up and they will bring their best, and they will take the group's uh, welfare into their hands. There's a sort of buy-in that you get when the leader makes it clear that they're leading by listening, rather than leading by force, or by hovering, or by uh, outsmarting. So, so that was a wonderful first trial, but who knows, maybe I was just high on Grotowski-inspired paratheatrical jazz. Who knows whether it would last. So on Wednesday night, I went to Jalopy, the folk music uh, school and theater in Red Hook, Brooklyn, to teach the my my first solo session um, on an eight-week eight series that was called Improvising from Folk Songs and Dances. And it's a, a class I've been teaching with my friend Diana, where we um, work, uh, we take a different folk song from a different tradition in the Americas, North and South, uh, and we essentially um, do a combination of movement, 
and voice, uh, improvisation, exercises, and games uh, in order to build up the skills and the ensemble and the sort of atmosphere that we need to learn that song and movements that go with it. And then from there we take the, that song and the movements and we improvise with them. So it's, a, it's a, kind of a lot of moving parts uh, when you describe it, but it's actually a very simple and beautiful idea. And I've been co-teaching this class with Diana, and I think I can see now, in retrospect, that there had been a lot of fear um, that was, I think, still in teaching that class. It was small, like a core of about three people, sometimes more, um, very, very intimate, and uh, some relatively um, inexperienced, or actually, that's not really the right word, some some there was definitely some anxiety about singing out and full expression in the room. Um, some singers who actually have a lot of experience and, and talent, but maybe don't always have a strong connection to that sense of courage and freedom that you, that is helpful for really improvising, uh, which is not an easy thing to muster. So, so the way that I approached this class, I mean, I could have gone in a different direction. I could have, since this was the first time I was teaching it alone and without Diana, and since I hadn't prepared much more than um, picking a song, Yemaya Sesu, Asesu Yemaya, Yemaya Sesu, Asesu Yemaya, from the Afro-Cuban Yoruba tradition. Um, if I hadn't, I, since I hadn't prepared an enormous amount, there was a potential for me to just fall back onto my habitual anxiety. But what happened there was that I, I had enough experience to, to know uh, some clever and and sort of engaging fun ways to build up the building blocks for the song by building up the meter with some stepping and clapping and and by teaching the song with the syllables and and melodies bit by bit and just trusting myself to to be able to lay down the lattice work the scaffolding sort of on the fly as needed and it's just something really lovely happened. Something really lovely happened, which is we had a 90-minute class where it, it felt like everyone really came out of their shell and they could tell that I was leading not from a place of needing to prove my authority or my, my right to be above them and hand something down, but they could tell that I was teaching from a place of being curious about what would happen next and relishing the uncertainty in the moment-by-moment -moment process of doing what we were doing, and at the same time, keeping a solid enough framework, both in terms of emotional and in terms of musical features, that they were never disoriented or abandoned or somehow infected by 
my own anxiety about my uncertainty. So there was a balance there between deliberateness and structure and sort of showing them the seams and how open-ended it was and how much I was listening to them. And I think that there was something really infectious that happened where they just really, they stopped being taught and they started stepping up and learning themselves out of their own desire. Because I showed my own desire, which was to ride the edge of the moment with them and to really hear what they had to say. So there's this kind of symmetry that happened where I think I've, for a long time, oop, an insect just flew into me. Um, for a long time, I think I've been sort of holding back without knowing it and depriving myself of the experience of pleasure and the experience of real motivation in teaching out of, in the guise of protecting my students by being very diligent and planning and delivering them a high quality experience. I think that was a guise for me not wanting to make myself vulnerable enough to potentially fail in front of them somehow. And, and in doing that, in trying to give myself a guarantee of that security of knowing what I was doing, I think I deprived them of my own actual presence and reason, motive for being there in the first place. And when I let go of that sort of unilaterally and just decided to trust them, then suddenly I was in the room in a different way. And then that really summoned them to come into the room in a different way, which made the whole encounter possible. So I was just about to leave on my bike after this amazing class and go hear a singer-songwriter who was playing in this very park. Um, and then I just realized that two of these students had asked me to have a beer with them afterward. And, and this was this incredible opportunity to just connect with them after having this experience, connect as people, continue to enjoy each other's presence as peers and not as some hierarchical thing. And I figured out, yeah, that was the right thing to do. And it was so fun to just, I just feel like we, I mean, we just really got to know each other so much better afterward. And so the next thing, I actually skipped something. There were, I, there were not three, there were four. I'm, this is, I'm just going to do all of them, knock them all down. So the day before was Make Music New York, which is, uh, started in Paris as the Fête de la Musique on the solstice. Um, hundreds and hundreds of musical acts go out and play live out, outdoors in the city in public places. And in addition to all those kind of pop-up performances on the same day, which is sort of a logistical wonder, they have these mass appeal events where people can show up and make music together. So last year, I hosted the first ever circle singing mass appeal event in um, Central Park. And this year, a, a woman named Anaïs from Haiti and France was organizing another circle singing event up in Harlem. So I went up there on my bike. It was a lovely day. I improvised all day. I just committed to, I'm going to leave my house and I don't know what I'm going to do and we're going to see what happens, which is not that easy to do. So I showed up in the park and she had this way of leading that was really different from mine. And um, at first I was maybe feeling a little bit 
um, disappointed, or that's not really the word, just sort of surprised. Um, she was just leading, she was teaching world music repertoire very slowly and methodically with a lot of talking and about technique and just sort of history and background. And then she would just start the song. She had, she was a drummer. She would drum and sing and, and then she would keep repeating it and let people join in. And the whole, um, by the time she, she, we started a little late. And so by the time, uh, by the time we got to a break, it was almost officially time for the thing to be over. She had to go to the bathroom, which was across the street. And so I just sort of gamely volunteered to lead a little bit. And I got people singing around me. Again, completely no plan for what to happen, what to do. But I just sort of read the moment and read the energy and trusted these people to bring something to me. And I, I got them singing long tones. And I trusted... I don't know. I just trusted myself to really listen. I trusted them to be listening back to me. And again, had this experience in just like literally something like five to seven minutes of leading in between while, while this other leader was in the bathroom. I got this level of connection between us where there was one, there was one moment I remember where I was standing inside this circle of strangers, most of whom weren't, didn't consider themselves singers. And... I was hearing the sound of them each sing a completely different note in, the, in a very open voice together and hearing how beautifully, uniquely, um, kind of effervescently bright and unified this texture of sound was around me and turning around a little bit myself and, and actually having a thought which I don't often have when I'm leading, which is, oh my God, that is so beautiful. Like a, an experience of wonder in the middle of the circle where I really let myself hear what was happening and what I heard was really beautiful. And I realized like, sort of thinking about it a little bit, that I had, re I think it's part of the same thing to allow myself to, um, to really enjoy, to really experience and enjoy what's happening while I still have the, this cloak of responsibility on me to f figure out what happens next, or better said, while I still am in a position where I get to discover what happens next together with the group by leading and following. So in other words, it, it just, it felt like I, for the first time in a long time, I let the fear of what I was going to do next and whether I was going to mess up, I let that go long enough to actually have an experience of beauty and transcendence and openness inside what was happening and hallelujah because if I don't let myself have that experience then I'm not going to keep doing this and if I don't keep doing it I won't learn how to do it better and if I do allow myself that experience then then suddenly I understand why I'm there and 
maybe the people around me will understand why I'm there. And then maybe there'll be a potential for things to really unfold the way that I'd like them to, or the, you know, the way they should. So that's experience number three. And the fourth one just happened today. I went into the very last meeting of the first year of Open Studios at Carnegie Hall Youth Programs. I'm going to be taking a more active role in the fall, um, programming the teaching artists at this Open Studios program, which is a four-hour sort of drop-in, very open-ended, youth-centered, youth-directed uh, musical space at the Carnegie Hall uh, Weill Education Institute. It's a really wonderful program, and it's... Uh, sort of radically um, youth-driven, which it took me a little while to get used to, but actually it turned out to be a perfect laboratory for this way of thinking, because from the first moment I walked in there today, I really had the follow, the lead by following um, thing going strong in me. And so immediately I noticed I had a lot less anxiety than in previous times I'd been in there about whether I was in the right place, whether there were groups of students who were needing me in another room, whether something was going wrong and I wasn't managing it correctly. I, was, I sort of noticed a lot of that dropped down and away. And what was left was the actual experience of presence and connection with a whole bunch of kids, new kids, talented kids. There was like I mean, some snapshots would be uh, four very uh, precocious guitarists gathered around me with my little guitar trying to exchange chords and um, guess what chord the other one was playing. Uh, there was uh, a couple different freestyle battles between myself and a kid named, uh, well, I don't have to name the kids, but uh, uh, there was a, a bunch of sort of rap and hip-hop going to... Down, I made a match between two very shy individuals, one of whom was making delightful instrumental um, compositions on a laptop, and the other of whom call, called herself a melodic rapper, but a rap composer, but didn't really want to sing. So I put them together, and they wrote the whole song. Um, and probably the event I'll remember the most, though, is... Um, one of the students is Brazilian, or at least half Brazilian, and so she was excited by the Brazilian tambourine, the pandeiro that I brought, and we played a little. I taught a couple of people how to play it, and then she sang a Brazilian song, and we all traded songs, and then I took a leap into doing a little more facilitation than is normal at this space, and I gathered the students together at, the, at a moment that felt like it was sort of like a low energy. It was a moment when something needed to happen new. I gathered them together and did some long, some breath work and kind of like a, out of the playbook that my Brazilian friend Zuzza Gonçalves often uses to start a, uh, a group encounter. I did some breathing, some hissing, some long tones, and then just pushed off into uncertainty with us just singing long tones, staggered breathing, listening to the harmonies that resulted, not thinking about making good music, but just thinking about making sounds. And, uh, oh man, 
It was nice. It was really nice. But then after that, I started into some rhythm work at the request of a student. And what I discovered was I didn't have to do anything to figure out what to do next. The students, if anything, I had to just try to simplify and calm us so that we could take one trajectory through all of the possibilities, brilliant and awesome possibilities that the students started to generate once they figured out it was open season. And so with a group this small, it was like six or seven people, and a group this sort of intelligent and engaged, I felt like, oh gosh, this is so easy. Because everyone, like, first we were just exchanging claps around the room. In a, and, and then the idea was to build up piece by piece um, a body percussion pattern, but that turned out to be sort of challenging. So then we decided to take a rhythm like ga, 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 and then sort of hock it by um, just each taking one clap and exchanging it around the room, and we got that. Um, and then I just asked a, a very innocent question. How do you think we could integrate the voice into this way of passing things around? And boom, so many ideas. So, you know, at one point we were singing harmonies, uh, passing two-note harmonies that kept leapfrogging around the room. We were walking around and giving each other high fives to pass it around the room. We were... Um, there were a bunch of different permutations generated by a few of the students, and it was just a really beautiful reminder that um, brilliance is not really required as a teacher. And in fact, it can sometimes get in your way, especially if you think that it's necessary. Like, I didn't have to fix the problem of what to do next, and it wasn't even really a problem as long as there was something happening in the room, and this is sort of the paradox, as long as there was something happening in the room that I hadn't intended, as long as there was a little grain of sand to put into my oyster, whether that was because of a misunderstanding or an individual physical or mental or emotional quirk, or because of um, deliberate variation, for whatever reason that there was some uniqueness and individuality and human diversity in the room. That was exactly what made it easy to figure out what direction to take the whole thing in. Sometimes it would come in the form of an explicit suggestion. I think we should do this. Well, okay, great. Let's try it. Um, and sometimes it came in the form of just like a little bit of resistance or reluctance or or miss if someone thought I meant B when actually I meant A then as soon as I figured out that, that they thought I meant B then we tried B and so this is this is a sort of watery flexible way of working that I think isn't necessarily the way to work and in fact in many situations just doesn't work sometimes because of the numbers or because of the context, or because of the, the circumstances that you're working in, you need to come in with a lot more, more structure and be willing to sort of stick to it. And you need to sometimes stop things and 
clarify your expectations and start again to try to get them on track. That's certainly true, and there's an art to doing that without losing a group, and an art to doing that in a way that's balanced and integrated, and I think I have a lot to learn about that. But what I'm talking about is uh, a sort of complementary way of working, uh, the option of keeping as minimal and lightweight a plan as possible at all times, maybe coming in with an intention of a way to start and a set of resources to draw from and a possible way to end, period. And then letting the experience that's unfolding between all of the people in the room help to guide what needs to happen and to trust yourself to to do it with the amount of confidence and uh, elegance and the right amount of structure and the right amount of flexibility to give something beautiful to everyone in the room and to also get something beautiful from everyone in the room and to really be willing to to have your own stake in things and to really know why you're there and what you're looking for and how you're being fed by what's unfolding. And I just feel like four times this week I have learned that. So you won't be surprised maybe to hear that I'm going back tomorrow to this very same workshop with the theater group and I'm bringing my friend and uh, I'm just so glad to be alive.